You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Well, you guys can be seated. Uh, we are starting week two and what is a big month for our church. And so you may have seen some signs that look like this around. Uh, it says exceedingly abundant. And so uh, we started this off last week. And uh, what we're doing is a big milestone for Bethel. We're actually celebrating Bethel's 40th anniversary. Bethel's been in Tyler for 40 years. I am only 39. So one year longer than I've been alive. And as we look back at all that God has done, and many of those people that started Bethel are, are still around, uh, this is the phrase that came to mind. Man, he has, done ex- he has been exceedingly abundant to us, and now we're looking forward to the next 40 years, that we can do for others what was done for us, and we trust that God will continue to be exceedingly abundant. You do need a couple things. So last week we handed out some booklets. Uh, we don't have enough for everyone to get a new booklet every month. Uh, so we're asking you bring that back, bring it with you. But we've got a couple guys in the back with some booklets. If you did not get a book booklet last week, if you would, just slip up your hand. They'll make sure that you get one. And then out in the lobby, as they're handing those out, I want to show you one of these. Uh, you'll see these commitment cards out in the lobby. It's got a front and a back. And so starting next week, over the next two Sundays, we're going to ask everyone here, everyone who's a member here, to make a commitment with your time, your talent, and your treasure. So that may be to serve in a way that you haven't been serving. That may be to pray. That may be financial. And so we're asking uh, over for between all five of our campuses, over the next two years, we're seeking to raise $6 million to do what we feel like God has called us to do. And so if you're a regular giver here, hey, thank you. We appreciate it. And you know what? We'll find out today in our passage, your heart is better off for it. And we're asking you to, to think and pray about giving exceedingly abundant, like our God is, giving over and above uh, maybe what you already give. If you do not give currently and you are a member here, we're asking you to try. Start here. See what kind of commitment you can make over the next two years. I promise you, you won't go back when it is over. Uh, if you have any questions about any of that, any of those details, as you look through the booklet, uh, please email me anytime. Let me know anytime. Uh, I want to brag on Hillary Dickey over here, y'all. She does all of our communications. Yes. Every slide you see, every book, anything that looks professional, she did it, okay? If it doesn't look professional, that's a dead giveaway that I did it. Uh, and Mark Kirkendall, who prayed for us earlier, he did a lot gathering this information. There's some great information that we can look back over Bethel. You know, as we've been, uh, as I was studying the passage this week, and as we've been thinking through this, I thought a lot about uh, one guy, uh, my Uncle Don. Uh, guys, I thought all week about how to explain Uncle Don to y'all. Uh, let's start here. Uh, English is not my first language. Redneck is my first language, Okay. I come from a long line of North Louisiana rednecks, and I've, I know I've, uh, I've uh, you know, said it a little bit. I've gotten refined a little bit. Thanks a lot to my wife. You know, got educated, all those things. But it's there. It's still in my bloodline. And uh, Uncle Don, he was the firstborn of, on my mom's side, and he was the troublemaker of the family, kind of the black sheep, which that's, that's a low bar. That, that's saying a lot. He, he enrolled in seven different colleges. I don't know that he ever got a degree, but seven different colleges he tried out. Uh, he, man, he used rough language, and he's one of these guys that just lived a rough, adventurous life. 
I remember at his funeral, God told a story about he was off in Idaho. I don't, I don't know what he's doing in Idaho. He was in Idaho for something. Uh, and something happened. He had to come back home. And, of course, he blown through his paycheck and all his money. And so his mom offered, I'll buy you a train ticket to get on home. He wouldn't do it. No, 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 I got it. I'll figure it out. I'll get home. Sure enough, a few, do, few days later, Uncle Don shows up back home. His mom asked him, well, how'd you get home? He said, well, I, I did end up taking the train after all. Well, she said, well, how'd you afford the ticket? He said, well, who said anything about a ticket? Y'all, he just like stowed away on trains from Idaho to get back home. That's the kind of guy he is. When I was in high school, I got a chance to go on this trip to Washington, D.C. And it's one of these, you know, they mail you something, and it's some leadership, youth leadership group. You've been nominated. What I didn't realize at the time is they send one to everyone in the school. I uh, just want to know who'd be willing to pay for it. Well, we were willing to pay for it, so I, I got to go to Washington, D.C. And y'all, I mean, <laughs> this is chubby little redneck going off to the big city. Okay, this is not that different from the Beverly Hillbillies is what's going on. I've never been to Big City, never been anywhere, uh, never been too far from home. And so here I go. And uh, I was nervous and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what it was going to be like. And right before I left, I got a card in the mail from my Uncle Don. <laughs> I can't tell you what the card said in church. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> Some Along the lines of, you know, he, what he meant was, hey, I'm proud of you. Go get him. You know, blankety blank, go get him. You know, 50 bucks inside. This, he, he didn't have any money. He barely had any resources. And he sent me some money. I have no clue what I spent that money on. Pro, knowing me, probably some food. That's probably what I spent it on. But I remember what it did inside of me. You know, I, I was thinking this week, up until that point in my life, I don't think I'd ever believed so strongly that somebody believed in me. He didn't have much, but he wanted to make sure I had what I needed to do what he knew I was capable of doing. There's power and our money beyond what we just buy with it, isn't there? It reveals what's in our hearts, and it has the ability to touch other people in their hearts and bless them. But you know that, that power, it can work either way. And that's what we're going to see in our passage today. It can work for good, or it can draw your heart away from the Lord. And our passage today is a warning about the power of our stuff. And here's our big idea for the day. You can have all you want and lose all that matters. You can have all you want and lose all that matters. Our passage today is from Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're not going to be able to cover the whole chapter. I encourage you to read the whole chapter. It's an amazing chapter. We're going to start and pick it up in verse 11. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Now, hold on. This, this is what's fascinating to me. So the first 10 verses are recounting 40 years in the wilderness, surviving, God providing for them in every way. Their clothes didn't even wear, their shoes didn't wear. They had, all, they had food, they had water, they survived, they've been led by God. And hallelujah, guys, after 40 years, they're done with the wilderness. And so God is gathering his people together 
But here's what's amazing to me. He is not gathering them to celebrate, you know, balloons, high fives. He is gathering together to warn them. Now, I would have thought he gathered them together to warn them before they go into the wilderness. Hey, it's going to be hot. Everybody stay close. There's like deadly snakes out there. Half of you got to die from deadly snakes. Be warned. But he didn't do that. Now. As they enter the rich land, the land flowing with milk and honey, now is when he warns them. Because the land of milk and honey, guys, it has dangers that do not exist in the wilderness. The wilderness might be filled with dangers for your body. The rich land is a minefield for your soul. And I think we need to all acknowledge and understand, guys, we are all in the rich land. This all applies to us. And by that, I don't mean nobody struggles with money. Nobody has financial struggles. Of course, lots of people have financial struggles, but most of us know where our next meal is going to come from. So in the grand scheme of human history, that kind of puts us in the 1%, guys. But more than that, more than that, what I mean is we are in a materialistic culture. What that means is most of us we have a sneaking suspicion that our stuff can make us happy. You know, most people, if you ask most people, hey, what, what's the problem with, with money, with material possessions? They would say, the problem is, I don't have enough of it. If I just had more, then I could fill in the blank. Did y'all see that, was a couple weeks ago, how much that Powerball was, was up to? Was it 1.3 billion with a B? I know many of y'all, a lot of y'all bought tickets, I know. I almost did. I almost did. Thought about it a couple times. Can you imagine? $1.3 billion. Guys, I got a long list of problems I would solve. But here's the thing. If the Bible is right, it is more likely that winning that Powerball would turn into a curse for you instead of a blessing. I know it sounds insane, but here it is. Just, if you're not, not going to believe the Bible, just go Google lottery winners who lost it all. Go Google it. In fact, I found this statistic. 70% of lotto winners lose all of the money within five years. That's impressive. I mean, you got to be kind of trying. You know what my guess is? If, if you knew those stories, my guess is each of those people lost more than money. They probably lost some of their soul in the process too. And so God's very first word in verse 11 is this word, take care. It's the word shamar. It occurs 65 times in the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, it's like warning signs going off. It's like one of those car alarms that just won't stop. Somebody turn it off. I get it. He keeps saying that word over and over and over again. Take care. It means we got to have more than just vague intentions. We have to have daily intentional focus on our soul and our stuff. You know, in high school, I played football. I played offensive line. Uh, you know, real glorious position, I know. Uh, and we spent hours, hours upon hours practicing two steps. Just two steps. First two steps you take. Six-inch power step, second-step punch. That's it. Six-inch power step and punch. Over and over and over again. We paid careful attention to those two steps, because the whole thing wrote it. Very specific, not three inches, not 12 inches, not elbows out, elbows in. I mean, the whole thing, very precise. 
And then when we lived in Tennessee, I met a guy who played offensive line in the NFL for the Tennessee Titans. And you know what he said they spent hours and hours and hours practicing? Six-inch power step and punch. Six-inch power step and punch. Over and over and over again. They never got so sophisticated, so mature, so experienced that they didn't have to take great care in what they were doing. And the Bible pleads with us to be the same with our stuff. Take care. You're never so mature you don't have to. It is too important for you to neglect. Now listen, our church is full of generous people. I would not want to be in any other church. I have the blessing that before I worked here, this is a church me and my family came to. This is our, our home church, and we are so generous. But the worst thing we can do is think, oh, we're so different. We don't, we don't have to take care. We're, we're immune to these temptations of pride. We're immune to our hearts be letting astray, that somehow our hearts are different than every other human heart. We can't do that. So in verse 11, here's the warning. He says, if we don't take care, we forget God. Isn't that amazing? You can be enjoying the blessings from God and forget about him at the same time. It sounds crazy. How would we ever do that? And yet all of us do it quite often. So what does it mean to forget God? It means something specific in this context. Number one, it means obedience or rather disobedience. You stop going where God says to go. You stop responding to his voice. And listen, gang, obedience, it is always about trust and desire. I've come to a place where I no longer trust that he wants what's best for me, so I hesitate and I don't respond to his voice. Or I desire something that is different than what he desires for my life. And the thing about the rich land is there are, I got a lot of options of things that I can put my trust in or other things that I can desire. And so I stop obeying his voice. So it's disobedience. Secondly, it's, we'll see this more later on, it is pride. Now, when he says you forgot God, it's not like they have no idea about the Red Sea. You know, oh, what's the Red Sea? Never heard of the Red Sea. God did what? Why didn't anybody tell about that? No, no, no. They know the facts. They've just forgotten the purpose. See, they... They get in the rich land and they say, oh, I guess this was all to make me happy, healthy, and wealthy. I must be a pretty big deal. I guess God works for me now. This is great. All sense of worship is gone. All sense of his glory is gone. All sense of the bigger story is gone. And he's just like, God works for me now. And when we have to say here, isn't it perfectly natural? You know, this is the most natural thing in the world to think my income, my resources, my stuff is to give me a certain standard of living that I get to decide on. That is normal, but it is not biblical. I know, I know. Guys, I know. Most people don't like it when the church talks about money. If that is you this morning, just let me say, the feeling is mutual. I don't like it either. But then you read and read it. This is not an isolated passage, Jesus taught more about money than about heaven and hell combined. Did you know that? He taught more about money than just about any other more spiritual topic that you can think of. He said things like, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So do you want to know? Do you want to know if you remember God, if you trust him, if you desire him, if you love him, if you're obeying him, if you're following his purpose for your life? How do you know? I mean, it's hard to know sometimes. How do you know? Well, Jesus said, listen, the story that you tell yourself about yourself, not an accurate barometer. Actually, nobody will lie to you more than you. You're great at it. 
He also didn't say monitor your religious activity or your church attendance or even your sin avoidance. You can do all those things and be chock full of pride. Jesus said, follow the money. Follow the money. That's where your heart is. Your stuff is the path to your heart. You can have it all. You can have all you want, but be losing all that matters. And next, God shows us exactly how this plays out. And my guess is it is a familiar story. Let's pick it up in verse 12. Lest when you have eaten and are full, have built good houses, you live in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. You forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Our full bellies make us forget. And you'd say, these, these sound like good things. Aren't these good things? I mean, good houses, multiplied flocks, multiplied wealth. It's this picture of prosperity. Isn't that good? Yes. Yes, it is good. And good things make the most dangerous idols. I like the way John Piper put it. I read this quote this week. The most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Y'all, that convicted me this week. I mean, think, think about all the good things that we have available to us. A, a career, enough money to be secure. Um, I pick of hobbies for kids, for students. Sometimes it's getting into the good schools or on the right sports teams. For some for many, I think it's just simply, you know what, getting married, having a, a good family, having healthy, well-adjusted kids, and those are options for us. But the danger is you can pursue all of them with pats on the back, with attaboys, all the while. There's a scarcely recognizable, almost incurable idolatry lurking in our hearts. So he says in verse 14, that's when you forget God. He says your heart is lifted up. It's this picture the symbol of pride you simply think too highly of yourself you forget your own fragility you forget your own waywardness see the rich land it introduces a word into our vocabulary that is almost non-existent in the wilderness mine mine it ceases to be from him and for him and now it's mine all my stuff is mine and i get to decide what i do with it because it's mine Next, God reminds us, reminds them of the truth about themselves that they have forgotten. Verse 15, who, that who is God, led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You forget the truth about yourself in the rich land. You forget that there was a time you were terrified. All your know-how, all of your work ethic could do you no good. You needed God. He had to bring water out of a rock. He had to save you from serpents. He had to give you supernatural food. And here's his point in all this. It's not like, hey, God did you a solid back then, so return the favor. No, 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 no. Here's his point. 
In the rich land, your location and surroundings may have changed, but your dependence has not. Your dependence on God has not changed a lick. See, our dependence, it's obvious in the wilderness, isn't it? But it becomes hidden in the rich land. And that's why we tend to behave very differently in the wilderness. In the wilderness, if God tells you to go, you go. Because there's water over there. And I can't get water for myself. My, my survival depends on it. You'll let yourself be led in the wilderness. In the rich land, if God asks you to go, it's like, well, well I, I got to take care of my stuff. My kids got some activities. We're, we got a vacation planned. See, I, I got all these options that I got to think about now. See, our posture changes in the rich land. In, in the wilderness, our posture is open hands, eyes up, looking to God for provision. In the rich land, our posture becomes like this, close-fisted, mine, protecting my stuff. And so verse 17, there's that word again, shamar, take care, warning, pay attention to your heart, be intentional with your stuff, or this can happen to you. You can have all you want and lose all that matters. Let's keep reading verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. So this makes sense. The antidote to forgetting is remembering. Remembering here, it's all about purpose. So if forgetting means it's all for me, remembering means it's all for him. And men and women, maybe the most important words in the whole passage are ones that we often just blow past and read over. Where he says, he talks about his covenant that he swore with your fathers. He says the purpose of all of this, the purpose of you entering the rich land is so much bigger than you. In fact, it started with a covenant and you weren't even around. You weren't even there for it. It was your daddy and your granddaddy and me doing this. God blessed you with a covenant. You didn't do it, but you get to participate in it. It is so much bigger than you. And God has a purpose for all of it. He said from the beginning, from the time this covenant made, you are blessed to be a blessing to the whole earth. You see, it's all about his glory filling the earth. It's all about his kingdom. It's about him redeeming people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that's what it's always been about. You get to be a part of it, but it is far beyond you. To remember God is to participate in his purpose. But you know what happens? It happens to me. Our stuff lures us away and we forget God's purpose. There's all kind of temporary pleasures, lots of promises. Our stuff whispers, you, you can have all you want. The part it leaves out is that we will lose all that matters. Let's keep reading in verse 19. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so God is being clear. He wants to show us where this road is headed. Like any good warning, he wants to stop us before we get there. He shows us all this forgetfulness is heading to idolatry. Now, we don't like to call it that, but that's what it is. You know, the Bible says over and over again, God's number one competitor in your heart is your stuff. 
It's God's number one competition. And God warns you, you will perish. It'll destroy your soul. This is not what God wants for us. He's, he's trying to warn you. But saying, this is what happens when we abandon that for which we were created. We're like the fish that jumps out of his, out of his bowl in the name of freedom, in the name of more options, in the name of I'll do whatever I want. We abandon our source of life. And I know our, this is the deception. Our stuff makes it seem like we're, we're doing great when we're actually heading to destruction. But the truth leaks out, doesn't it? It leaks out in our relationships. It leaks out in our marriages. It leaks out in our unhappiness and our anxiety and our depression. Listen, when we, if we stop and think, we know our stuff can't make us happy. And I got to tell you, so much of our tiredness comes from the fact that we believe a lie that only exists in the rich land. And the lie is this. You need God and everything else. Live for God's priorities and all the others. Live for what God wants and what you want. God is important and all the other activities, all the social engagement, the house, the standard of living, the career, it's all important. I can tell you, you know what I would do? You know what I would do if I was the enemy going around here trying to throw everyone off? I tell you what I'd do. I would do everything I could to make sure you never choose between the two. You try to always do it all. Hey, have at it. Run yourself ragged. Just keep trying to juggle it all together. And you will be so tired. You'll be so torn. You'll have sent so many mixed messages to your own heart and to your kids. Eventually, the enemy gets exactly what he wants. To still kill and destroy. And God is trying to step in now and warn us where it is heading. That's why the warning is here. That's why the, there came a time when the prophet Elijah stood up to the, the whole people and he asked, how long will you keep on wavering between two opinions? If God is God, then please, by all means, serve him. If our kids, our career, our comfort is God, then serve it. But choose, choose who you're going to serve. You can't tell me this isn't the dynamic of our age and in our churches today. Listen, the reality is most people, most people are petrified of saying no to an activity or to a vacation or to a hobby or to more money, but have no problem saying no to serving God's mission in the world. No problem. They're more afraid of what will happen if I say no to the other stuff than if I say no to this. It's been my experience that, listen, many people are willing to serve. They are willing to give as long as that doesn't mean saying no to something else. But God says, listen, we, we are afraid of exactly the wrong things. The danger isn't saying no to God. The danger isn't becoming unresponsive to the voice of God. Your soul will perish. And so God's warning us, you can have all you want and you can lose all that matters. In verse 20, God tells us what he wants. He says, all I want is for you to follow my voice. Now, when we say his voice, we think, okay, the thou shalt and the thou shalt not. It's what he, what he told us to do and not do, and that's certainly included here. But y'all, in the scriptures, the voice of God is so much bigger than that. The voice of God created the earth and all that exists. The voice, it's his voice that led the people through the wilderness. His voice uttered the promises that set them free. His voice declares your freedom, and your forgiveness. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to make us understand God's voice is more basic to your existence than even bread. 
Your soul depends on God's voice more than your body depends on water in the desert. And so to turn away from the voice of God, it's like turning away from food or water. You do it at your own peril. Your soul will perish. I got to tell you guys, I've been wrestling with this passage all week. This week has been a week of repentance and perspective for me. Because if I'm honest, my stuff gets into my heart just the same. There. Listen, there's some ways I'm enjoying the blessings from God while forgetting him. And that's, a, that's sad to say, but it's true. And we have to acknowledge it. There's two questions. So two questions I want to share with you that I've been asking myself this week. Number one, is God your primary treasure and trust? Is God your primary treasure and trust? You know how you know? Jesus told us how you know. Does God have full authority to tell you what to do with everything in your life. If not, we've got the closed fist of the rich land somewhere. If not, he he doesn't have your whole heart, yet your stuff may be getting in the way of something far more important. Second question, are you pursuing an earthly kingdom or a heavenly one? What's all your stuff for? What's the purpose of all of it? You know, God gave you talent and skills and resources for a reason. He made you parents and neighbors and gave you spheres of influence for a purpose. And you have to decide, is is your primary purpose in those things to glorify God? Are you leveraging all of those things God has given you for his purpose? Is it for you or is it for him? And maybe you throw him some leftovers. Well, this was my idea, so I figured I'd go first answering these questions, okay? First question, so is God my primary treasure and trust? Guys, i got to say, in all sincerity, yes. Yes, there's nothing my soul desires more than him. Oh, and no. Also no. Because the truth is, every day, my heart gets pulled and distracted by other things. I mean, I want it to be all the time, always, nothing but but yes, but I'm not there yet. There are some times I I trust my stuff more than I trust him sometimes. So second question, are you you pursuing an earthly kingdom or a heavenly one? Well, guys, I'm a pastor. I mean, so clearly I'm pursuing a heavenly heavenly kingdom, right? Oh, and earthly. I'm also doing that too. The truth is it takes shockingly little to distract me. You know, I get annoyed. I grumble like they did the wilderness many times. And guys, sometimes all I want to do is watch football and eat something and be left alone. That's all I want sometimes. Right? My heart's divided. And that's why this month is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to undivide our hearts, to be careful lest we forget to loosen the grip our stuff has on our hearts. We said from the very beginning, we really have two goals. There's a primary and a secondary. The secondary is we wanted to do the things we're talking about. We've sought the Lord. We've, we've planned. We're serious about them. And we can't do it without everyone pitching in. That is very real. But that's not the primary goal. See, even even more than checks, we want to be changed. Even more than raise money, we want to raise up generous people who God has their whole heart. And here's the thing. If the Bible's right, the Bible says we won't get to the primary goal without the secondary. We don't get to our hearts without going through our stuff. There is no sanctification in the Bible without generosity. 
And, you know, there's true. There's so many people that sit in church and they think, I gotta just need to read another book. I need to listen to some more sermons. Maybe I need to, you know, there's a list of five or six morals I need to do a better job of keeping. And really what they need to do is loosen their grip on their life and use what God has given them for his glory. See, this is the purpose of our giving. The primary purpose of giving is not that God would get money out of your pockets. It's so that he'll get the idols out of your hearts. And what happens is, so it's a, as I loosen my grip on my stuff, something is happening in here where my stuff is loosening its grip on my heart. That's how it works. I've never seen someone live a generous life and regret it. Never once. We want to be like my Uncle Don. We want to use our stuff to bless, to love, and to glorify him because it's all his anyway. And I know, look, there's, I know some may still be suspicious. God just wants my money or God doesn't want me to have any fun. You know, he's going to ruin my good time. That's not true. And there's a way that you can know that is not true. Here's how you know. Because Jesus went to the wilderness for you. Think about this. The Israelites... They went from the wilderness into the rich land. Jesus left the rich land to willingly come into the wilderness for you. Right after his baptism, the voice of God speaks. The powerful voice of God speaks audibly. Like people hear it. He says, this is my son. I love him so much. I'm so pleased with him. And from there, the father leads him, not to some land flowing with milk and honey, but into the desert into the wilderness, and he is tempted in every way. You know what Jesus does when he's tempted? He quotes the voice of God to Satan. You know what the verse, first verse he quotes back is? This chapter, Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, God led me here. I trust his voice. I'll go wherever he takes me. He is my primary treasure. And so Jesus did in the wilderness what you fail to do in the rich land. And he did it for you. Listen, if he did it just to be a good example, that's shaming. That's an impossible standard. I'm not Jesus. I can't, I can't do that. No, no, no. The Bible says Jesus' righteousness is credited to your account. So it becomes true of you. That means God isn't waiting for you to do it. He's not waiting for you to prove your love and commitment to him. It has been done. And that means that voice of God this is my child. I love him so much. I am so pleased with him. Those words apply to you. The voice of God speaks to those to you today. And this is why Jesus is all that matters. Now, I don't know about you, but none of my stuff has ever done that for me. And so I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful to follow a God like that. I'm excited to follow a God that would do that for me. And I will gladly count it all lost that I may gain Christ. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.